0: So I heard this story about uh, Frederick the Great. He was um, in Berlin, and he was visiting, for whatever reason, a a prison. And being who he was, he could give clemency to whoever he wanted, kind of like our presidents do to this very day. And sometimes we wonder, you know, you hear this thing, every president pardons drug dealers and criminals, and you wonder why. But that's their problem. I don't know the story. I don't know the situation but they always just put the bad part of it on the news so you think they're letting these criminals go, but we don't ever know why they're letting them go. So anyway, Frederick the Great goes in there, so all these people come up to him and say, I shouldn't be here, you know, I was falsely accused, please, please, but there was one guy standing off to the side by the wall, didn't even go up to Frederick the Great, didn't say anything, didn't beg for his attention, so of course he stood out, and Frederick the Great says, you, over here, everybody else be quiet. He said, what are you in for? He said, robbery? He said, did you do it? Yes, sir, I did. I deserve my punishment. And Frederick the Great said, release this man immediately. I do not want this robber corrupting all these good and honest people in prison. (laughs) Love it. Sometimes honesty will get you, you know, get you going. Confession is good for the soul. conception. (laughs) Confession is good for the soul. Just a fun little story um, to introduce. not such a fun topic. Uh, I want to talk to you tonight about divorce. And it's not an easy topic because it's an issue so many of us deal with. Either you've been married and divorced yourself or you know somebody who has. And so when we talk about what the Bible says about sins in general... It's always easy because we don't have to personalize it. But as soon as you give a name to a sin, then it becomes a problem. Well, wait a minute, Steve, my divorce wasn't a sin. Maybe it wasn't. I'm not saying it was. But oftentimes it is. And so it becomes a very touchy subject. But the Bible speaks about it quite a bit. And that's where we are in Matthew 19, so I have to speak about it too. Um, But I think sometimes candor is just simply the best approach to dealing with a tough topic. So I'm going to share with you what I believe the Bible teaches about divorce, remarriage, and that kind of thing tonight. I will probably hit 90% of the tough questions that come with that issue. The other 10% I don't have an answer to, or I didn't have time to address them. Things cross my desk all the time, like, gee, I don't know what to do. I'm not Solomon. But I'll give you an overview of what the Bible says about divorce and remarriage, and uh, then how you deal with that will be between you and God. Um, But I do want to say this. Divorce and remarriage are not the unpardonable sins. If you committed the sin of an improper divorce and remarriage, just like any other sin, you go before God, you let Him know, you acknowledge your error, ask for His forgiveness, He will graciously grant your forgiveness, and you move on. So whatever I share with you tonight isn't coming from a, you're a bad person, judgmental attitude, or your mom's a bad person, or your aunt's a bad person, or your neighbor's a bad person, because frankly, Well, I don't want anybody to put up their hands because there might be somebody I have to embarrass. But how many of you haven't sinned, don't sin regularly? So how can we throw a stone at somebody? (laughs) That one person, that hand had to go up. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, I sin regularly. I sin regularly. I don't want to. No, no, you can stop now. I'm not giving you more to say. I don't want to but I do, I'm a human being. I think the Lord is very pleased with the fact that I don't want to, and I try not to, but I do. So the last thing I'm gonna do is look down my nose at somebody who sins, because I'm, I'm in the club, you know? But we do have to talk about it, and we still have righteousness to pursue, and so we'll do the best we can. Speaking about you know, frankness or candor being the best policy, Back in the day when Grover Cleveland was running for president against James Blaine, uh, this is in the 1800s, so you imagine what our culture was like then, and um, word got out that he fathered a child illegitimately. That should have been a deal-breaker right there. That could be a deal-breaker today. Uh, Herman Cain? He doesn't even father a child, but he says he has got an ongoing relationship. He's gone. He pulled out of the president. He couldn't handle the allegations. Whether they're true or not, he couldn't handle them. Grover Cleveland, 1800s. And they started with this horrible campaign, maybe brilliant campaign, depending on how you look at it. Placards went up. One more vote for Cleveland! Ooh, burn. Or how about this chant they were doing at some of the rallies? Ma, ma, where's my pa? Gone to the White House, ha, ha, ha. (laughs) Just trying to rub it into his face. So you know what he did? He just came out publicly, and he said... The accusations are true. I did father a child illegitimately. I made a mistake. I regret it, but it happened. Guess who became president? Grover Cleveland. Sometimes, you know, people just gotta fess up and people are willing oftentimes to, to, to forgive. I mean, we're all failures at one thing or another, or well, 10 things or another. But we like honesty, like the guy in prison. We just like honesty. We want people to admit they're 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 not perfect. Makes us all feel better, I think, when we they admit they're not perfect. The scripture says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Doesn't that imply that if we don't forget, confess our sins? All right. Depending on what statistics you read, you're going to get different information. And I've given you different information over the years based on different statistics I've read. But I'll give you Barna and I'll give you Focus on the Family. Barna, this is like 10 years ago. Americans are increasingly likely to engage in cohabitation prior to marriage. And those who do so have a higher likelihood of experiencing at least one divorce during lifetime. In other words, people think, hey, I'll live together, we'll try it out, and if it works, then we can get married. Nothing like trying it before you buy it. (laughs) But apparently, it doesn't work. People who cohabitate first have a higher incidence of divorce than people who don't. Very interesting. Strangely, people who claim to be born again, their divorce rates are just as high either way. Yeah, why is that? I don't know, it's just what the statistics say. According to Focus on the Family, the American divorce rate today is more than twice that of 1960. 40 to 43% of marriages, they say, will end in divorce. Listen, all the way back in time, divorce and marriage has been a hot-button topic. It is perhaps the most discussed topic in the Talmud. In the days of the Roman Empire, laws were made about marriage and divorcing and remarriage. In the Roman Empire, and the Jewish people, back and forth about what constituted a proper divorce and remarriage. In the days of Jesus, there was um, two primary schools, the school of Hillel and the school of Shammai. By school, I don't mean a college. I mean school's of thought. And they had their disciples and their proponents. Hillel was considered the liberal guy, and Shammai was considered the conservative guy. And on this topic, Hillel was very liberal on his views as divorce, and Shammai, Shammai, of course, was very strict. Shammai said divorce, that means a righteous divorce, which would be accompanied by a potential remarriage, is only acceptable if the spouse commits adultery. That was Shammai's position, period. Let me read to you Hillel's position. If the wife wife cooks her husband's food poorly, by over-salting or over-roasting it, she is to be divorced. (laughs) Dang. Just, you know, just tryouts, cooking tryouts, you know. (laughs) Rabbi Akiva, who was part of that school, said if any man sees a woman more beautiful than his own wife, he may divorce her. And he based this on Scripture. He based it wrong on Scripture, but he based it on Scripture. Because it is said, if she finds no favor in his eyes. I'm telling you, it's not just people today who twist the Scripture for their own benefit. And you notice the emphasis here is a man may divorce his wife. Listen, we got to get our minds out of our culture. It's hard to do, but I share this with you all the time. Back in those days, well, today... If a man and woman divorce, the man goes to the left, the woman goes to the right. No worries. A woman can get a job as good as a man or better than a man. She may be wealthier than the man, may have a better education than the man. Her advantages and opportunities are just as much as a man's. But in that culture, women didn't even have legal standing. They couldn't just go out and find a job and find a new husband. It was very bad on women. To divorce a woman was to abandon her. It was to kick her to the curb and say, you're on your own, heck with you. It was mean. It was harsh. It was bad. It wasn't just, oh, I don't like her, so I'll pick a new one. It was nasty. It's abandonment in the truest sense of the word. So the laws, unfortunately, favored the men, so much so to this very day in in Israel people are working on trying to change this, but if a mean-spirited man divorces his woman without his permission, she can't get remarried. How messed up is that? He could be an evil, no-good idiot, and so they divorce. But unless he signs a piece of paper saying that he gives his permission to divorce, she can't get remarried. Totally jacked up. So... They come up to Jesus, wanting his opinion on divorce and remarriage, knowing what a hot-button topic it is. Now, we in this group know Jesus doesn't give an opinion. Jesus tells you right from wrong. It's not an opinion. He just tells you. But to them at this point, they weren't sure where this rabbi was or where he stood, so they asked him all the hard questions. What's the hardest thing you want to ask about? Divorce and remarriage. Why is it so hard? Because it's confusing? No, not so much because it's confusing but because marriage is so stinking hard. And people get divorces because marriage is so stinking hard. Hey, listen, I think some of the best relationships we can have are marriage relationships. But I also believe, equally, they could be the most miserable relationships we can have. And so this is how it's been in human history. So they go to the rabbi to test him. Maybe they wanted to know which school he was in. Maybe they just wanted to bring him a problem that nobody could possibly solve because no matter what he says, he's going to upset somebody. I can't say, but it is true. No matter what he says, he's going to upset somebody. So some Pharisees came to test him, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Are you with Hillel or are you with Shammai? That's what they were saying. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female? went straight to the scriptures, bypassed the houses. Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. See, they were arguing over what Moses said, which we'll talk about in a minute. Moses gave a a permission for divorce, but that was 1500 BC. This is 500 years later, and the language he used confuses people to this very day. I think I understand it perfectly, and I'll share with you my understanding of it. But most people, it's very confusing. It's unclear. So they've played fast and loose with it. Jesus bypasses that argument. He goes before Moses. He doesn't talk about the verse they're arguing about. He goes to the very beginning, to Adam and Eve. So maybe these guys were like, hmm? Oh, a new argument. Let's hear this one. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Haven't you read that? So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. But immediately they jumped to Moses. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. And I tell you, here comes the law that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, fornication, depending on the version you're reading, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Did you hear what he just said? He said the entire school of Hillel is full of adulterers. And the entire Roman world, and anybody else who just throws their wife to the curb because they burnt their toast or didn't like them or had an argument or found, found them unattractive. He just said, you're all a bunch of adulterers. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. Jesus replied, you're right. But that's not how he said it. He said, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it's been given. For some are eunuchs, because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept this. After Jesus laid down the law of marriage and divorce, the disciples thought it was so strict that they said, well, we shouldn't even get married. Jesus said, hey, that's, if you can handle that, don't. You're right, it's hard. Marriage is not for the faint of heart. It's hard. And if you can make it without a wife or a husband, then do it. But most of us can't. We need each other. We're born to, to need each other. There's a few that don't. They get by fine. So Jesus, he didn't back off of it and say, hey, no, it's not so bad. Give it a try. Marriage can be tough. This conversation about divorce, Jesus didn't pull any punches, came right in the text after his lesson on forgiveness, which I don't think is coincidental that it was written down one right after the other. Because I think if we were more able to practice biblical forgiveness, the hard kind. We'd probably see the divorce rate drop. But what happens oftentimes, and there's extremes, and I know this. This is the situation the husband beats the wife. It's easy to understand what to do in that situation. Leave. And this is the situation where... The husband and wife get along fine, but one of them cheated for no good reason whatsoever. You can see where the failure is, but we don't live in those two worlds all the time. We usually live somewhere in the shades of gray. And Well, okay, he wasn't very nice to you for the last five years. I understand that, but uh, there's two sides to every story. Were you nice to him? But he called me a big, fat pig. Okay, that's not a good thing to do. What did you call him? Well, you know, that's where the marriage counseling is supposed to come in. but he said prior to this that we're to practice forgiveness. And Peter said, how many times? Up to seven times? He said, no, not seven. Seventy times seven. Marriage lets us experience love on at least two levels. There's the... (whistles) ...level... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> la, 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 la. and then there's when she wakes up in the morning she doesn't look like she did when I proposed she's gained a little weight she started to get cranky why does she get mean once a month that's not nice she used to get cook for me all the time now she wants me to take her out he used to be so romantic and buy me flowers and candies and now he just sits in front of the TV and drinks beer He didn't even remember our anniversary. There's both sides. There's the tough type of love where you got to deal with people even though they're not easy to deal with kind of love, which, by the way, is good for us. We grow more godlike when we love people who are hard to love. So we don't like it. It's hard. By definition, we don't like hard. But it's good. It does good for our soul. There's that kind. And then there's the flowery kind. We all jump in with just the flowery kind in mind. And then when that picture gets a little fuzzy, we want to jump out again. So the scriptures teach, marriage counseling teaches at, at the good churches, that hey, you better be sure before you jump in because it's for life. It's forever and ever. And the vows try to make it clear sickness and in health, richer poorer, better, worse, till death do you part. Do you swear? I do. So Jesus gave his position on divorce and remarriage. He said that marriage was intended for life. Do you know there's some animals that mate for life? Did you know that? I just think that is so cool. And I've never heard of a divorce. Isn't that interesting? I don't remember which animals mate for life. Lobsters mate for life? So if a lobster can do it, so can you. (laughs) They're not even kosher. (laughs) So marriage was originally intended for life. But sin, or hardness of heart, enters the equation. And when someone sins, specifically by committing adulter, adultery, divorce is permitted. I don't know of anybody who's ever taught that it's required. It's permitted. The covenant has been broken, and the damage can be irreparable. But I'm not saying it's necessarily irreparable. But I believe Jesus said that if one of the mates commits adultery and the other wants to divorce, he or she may divorce and remarry, and the remarriage would be considered legitimate. It would not be considered adultery like he said the others would be. Well, that was Jesus' teaching. He pretty much followed the whole Old Testament pattern. Remember I told you about that word? The way it's translated in some bibles is some unclean he found some unclean thing in her more literally it's some sort of impure nakedness so it's an expression it's a euphemism which has been lost over time this unpure or unclean thing when jesus talked about it let me tell you let me give you his words Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Going back to the words Moses used. Jesus said, for the hardness of your heart, but from the beginning it was not so. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness or fornication marries another commits adultery. So Moses' words could easily be uh, interpreted as marital infidelity, unfaithfulness, or fornication. So since Jesus said fornication's okay to divorce and remarry, Moses gave a statement nobody really knows what it means, but it's sexual in nature. Jesus wasn't contradicting Moses still. He wasn't saying Moses was wrong. He was explaining what Moses meant that everybody forgot. That's how I look at it. So let me go back here a second because there's a little bit more on it. A new situation arose. Now, in ancient Israel, the assumption was It was a legal assumption. It was a cultural assumption. It was not a reality, as you all know. The assumption was a Jew followed God. This was the nation of Israel. These people were God's people. So one Jew could marry another Jew because you worshiped the same God. No no worries. But when Gentiles started coming in and salvation started going out, what if you got a couple, two Zeus worshipers? or two Jupiter worshipers, and one of the Jupiter worshipers becomes a Christian, and the other stays a Jupiter worshiper. Now what do you do? Wow, can I stay with this person? Is that clean? Are our children going to be like spiritual bastards because the father or the mother worships Jupiter, and I worship the God of Israel? This don't work. What do we do? That wasn't a problem in ancient Israel. They were all God worshipers. On paper. But now, with the, the church and Jew and Gentile mixing in and Gentiles getting saved who worshiped other gods, they needed new instruction. Fortunately, we had an apostle for such an occasion. So, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7 To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried has been sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as, as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So, there's a new, a new situation. This has nothing to do with physical infidelity. has to do with spiritual infidelity, or at least spiritual paganism. So, two Jupiter worshipers. One becomes a Christian, the other doesn't. The one who doesn't wants to leave. They want to divorce you because now you're some weird Christian. You don't worship Jupiter anymore. So, they leave. Are you stuck for the rest of your life, single? No, you can remarry a godly person. Well, I don't want to be married to a Jupiter worshiper anymore not your call. You made a commitment. You stay with that person as long as they're willing to stay with you. That was Paul's instruction. There's some lingo in here, though, I have to draw your attention to. He said, "Um, to the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. We're all okay with that. But down in verse 12, he says, to the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. So is this from God or isn't it? Paul, don't say that. You're confusing me. Well, here's how I look at it. First of all, Paul is an apostle. Anything anything he has got to say that makes it into scripture is gospel truth. But why then did he say I say this not the Lord? Well, there's a couple ways of looking at it. Can't say for certain which is valid, but maybe all of them. One is, you know, God gave Paul a bunch of revelation to share with the church, with us. But maybe Paul said, "Hey God, what about this one? Can I do that?" "Go ahead." Maybe that's how it goes. Or maybe, as some say, and I, I prefer this interpretation, um, when Jesus was here, he taught on marriage, but he didn't say everything. So he gave Paul the freedom to say some things. It was still inspired. But when it says, the Lord said it, what Paul meant was, he said it when he was here. And what Paul's teaching is part of what he said when he was here, and part of what he said when he wasn't here, when he was there. So he says, I'm writing it, not the Lord, because the Lord wasn't here to teach that. So either way it might work, but either way, it's in Scripture and his word is now our law. So, a little bit of summary, and we'll throw in some new thoughts as we go. Marriage is, slash, was intended for life. But Paul said, to married people I give this command, not I, really, but the Lord, a wife must not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. Likewise, a husband must not abandon his wife. So over here, this was easy. Over there, it was easy. But what about, you know, he, just, he yells at me all the time. He's mean. He's just beating me down. I can't live with him anymore. I just can't. Okay, step away for a while just to get your wits back about you with the intention of coming back. Reconciliation. Maybe you can't live with him anymore. Maybe he has gone bonkers and he's just mean. So step away for a while. But the intention is for a while. The scripture allows a temporary separation. It allows an indefinite separation. It's not the the way to go. But what it doesn't allow for is a permanent separation called a divorce with a remarriage unless it's for faithfulness uh, faithlessness or because one is became a, a believer and the other didn't that one otherwise and this is where it gets really hard and this is why the disciples said it's better not to marry. Can you imagine getting married to somebody? Some of you said yeah it's my experience. You get married to somebody and in ten years they totally change and they become mean and evil and hard to you can't even stand their presence anymore. They're just so rotten and nasty. You say I can't do this for the rest of my life. I get you. I understand. Step away. But divorcing and remarrying, scripturally speaking, is not permitted. Stepping away with the hope of reconciliation is. Now, maybe you said, I didn't know that, and I got divorced and remarried. What happens to me? Does God hate me? Of course not. I told you before, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Remarriage is not the unpardonable sin. But you need to know what God wants for us, and this is what we need to pursue. To the married people, I give this command, not really I, but the Lord, a wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave him, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. Likewise, a husband must not abandon his wife. So number one, marriage is intended for life. Two, separation is permitted with the hope of reconciliation. Number three, sin. Specifically, the hardness of heart can enter the equation. And number four, when someone sins and commits adultery, divorce is permitted. Number five, the innocent spouse is free to remarry. Number six, if a person is married to a non-believer, they should stay together. Number seven, however, if the non-believer divorces, the believer is free to remarry in a godly way. God's law on divorce and remarriage is strict. It's hard to deal with. It takes everything within your body if your marriage goes south let me tell you something I believe with all my heart. I believe humans are like water. We will follow the path of least resistance. So let me tell you something. If there's a fire and the fire's right by that door, I'm going out that door. But if there's no door there and no door there, and that's my only door, I'm running through the fire. What are my options? Stay and get burnt or try to go through the fire? If you think, I can get out of my marriage just like that, you will. But if you realize the only way through is through, a lot of people make it through, come through the other side. And they learn how to love. And they learn the value of loving somebody who's unlovable, just like God teaches us to do. Going through a hard marriage can be exactly what God wants for you just so you can learn to love. Something I've learned about God, he considers himself married to us. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. How many of you have ever heard of the marriage supper of the Lamb? Yeah, he considers us his bride ancient Israel was his bride too. And you see, ancient Israel time and again committed adultery. They worshiped the Baals and Moloch and on and on and on, and yet God never divorced them. They constantly divorced him, but he was always faithful to them. If marriage represents God's relationship to us, and it does, God never quits on us. So we should never quit on each other. I've got four children. I hope to God I never feel like quitting on one of them. But I have seen a lot of marriages, divorce, and in divorce, but I've never seen a parent say to their child, I don't ever wanna see you again or ever have anything to do with you again. I've heard of it, but it's a very rare thing. Why is that? Aren't children difficult at times? I know people within our congregations here between Beth Beth Sar Shalom and Book of Life whose children are addicts and who've thrown their lives away and have taken so much money from their parents trying to keep them off the street, trying to help them out, even though these kids don't care, and they still love them, and they still try to help them, even to the point where all their friends say, just sign them off. You have to for your own good and for theirs. The parents just can't do it. That's the kind of commitment we need to each other. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you or abandon you. That's what God says to us. And by His grace, that's what we should say to one another. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, my first prayer is for anybody who's hearing tonight's lesson that if they feel bad, it won't be the kind of bad that drives them further from you or further from me, but the kind of bad that drives them closer to you and hopefully closer to me. That if they've committed a full-blown sin, that they will see it as exactly that. I committed a sin, and Lord, I'm so sorry. And that you would give them the peace that comes with your forgiveness And I pray for those who may be struggling even as I speak that you would touch their hearts and give them strength to persevere, divine strength. For those spouses that are just so difficult to live with, I pray you would touch them and soften their hearts that they might again be the loving spouse that their mate fell in love with, that there might be reconciliation between spouse and spouse. And I pray, Lord, that we can be a healing church, that we can be the kind of places, the kind of place where relationships are nurtured, that we don't pass out the condemnation but the encouragement to do right and the support. Lord God, bless us and keep us. Make your face to shine upon us and grant us your peace. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, we pray. Amen.